So every time you think about, woe is me, woe is me, we need to picture Jesus on the cross in his innocence, beaten, spit on, punched, hair ripped from his face, uh, nails in his hands and his feet, and say, wow, like, yeah, I'm going through something, but I'm not going through that. And God, I thank you so much that you were willing to suffer for me. Kimberly chimed in uh, on that post. Can we give Kimberly a, a hand this morning? So thankful for her ministry here. She chimed in on that post and said something that really captured my heart. So would you please open up your hearts to hear what God gave her about suffering and what it looks like and why, and then I'll come right back and give us the message because I feel like our hearts will be ready at that time. So again, give Kimberly a hand as she comes. And the power that resides there. We must know him in his suffering. We must know the whole Christ. And our testing and our trials produce steadfastness in us. And in time, it'll produce a completeness in our faith that lacks nothing. And this was a journey for me. It wasn't just a, a one-time, I mean, there was a pivotal moment, but it was a journey. Um, I, I watched some dear friends of mine go through a long period of suffering and watching their family suffer, doing personal suffering. And I was praying for them and interceding for them. And, you know, I'm believing, I was believing that God would just come through for them. And I watched them suffer even more. And they're experiencing the anointing coming out of that season of suffering because our oil costs something. The oil of the anointing that you see on worship leaders and pastors, it costs something. So when you ask for that, be ready for what God has in store for you. But I, I question God in the midst of their suffering. And uh, not too long ago, this may seem simple and silly to some of you, but uh, our family dog of 10 years just passed away and she went through some serious suffering. Like she had multiple seizures and she was just crying out in pain. And there was just one day that I was just praying out to God and I was like, God, end her suffering. We don't want to watch her go through this and we love her too much to see her go through suffering. So I asked him, I was like, Lord, take her in peace, put her in a deep sleep and just take her, take her spirit and let it just be her body. And he honored that and I was so in awe of him and he just... He wrecked me in that moment and he was just like, do you see the suffering that I had to go through? And I just began to weep as I thought about how he was, he was disrobed by these horrible men. He was, he was mocked, he was tortured, he was flogged. He, was, he had a crown of thorns shoved into his skull. He was forced to carry a cross that was so heavy that another man had to come up and help him up a steep hill. And then once he was there, they nailed him to that cross. His hands and his feet, iron stakes in those hands and feet. 
And then they pierced his side. And then he gave up his spirit for us. And I was just in awe of him. That he would choose to do that for us. That he would suffer something that he didn't deserve. And we look at our trials and we say, how are we going to ever make that out of this? God, are you even real? God, are you even there? And he says, I'm in the midst of your suffering. Do you remember my suffering? Do you remember what I had to endure for you? For you to not even, for me to give you the choice to not even choose me back. So in the midst of our suffering, we get to take part in the whole Christ, not just the resurrection life and the power that comes along with that, because that's great. And we see miracles because of that, but we see miracles because of his suffering too. We see it because he died for us. And so we have to choose to die daily in the midst of our suffering or in the midst of our high highs. We have to choose to die daily to him. And as we were, as I was just reading James this week, as pastor instructed us to, I read James 1 verses 2 and 4, and it says, count it all joy. Count it all joy that you would go through trials and tribulations because it produces something so beautiful. All he asks of us, which is faith. Faith that is complete and with time, because he doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't ask us to be, have it all together at once. He says, with time, we can have a complete faith that lacks nothing. So in the midst of our trials and tribulations, we share in his suffering. We eat of the true bread and of the true drink, his body and his blood that was shed for us so that we can be glorified in his resurrection. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we're in awe of you. are not worthy of the sacrifice. But you call us your children. And you call us to your side. And you say, take part in all of me. Eat of my body and drink of my blood. you stir that up in us to be a daily practice, Lord, that we would commune with you, that we would remember you and your suffering as we so easily remember you in your life. God, we, we adore you. We open ourselves up to hear your revelation word 
placed inside pastor and what you want to pour into us. We want to know you in your fullness and your righteousness. So have your way in this sermon. Have your way in the rest of this time. May we take part in all of you this morning. In suffering and life, we worship you. We choose you. Come commune with us this morning. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for that word that we just received from Kimberly. Thank you so much. Can you guys say this with me? My suffering is producing something beautiful in me. My suffering is producing Jesus in me. So listen, your suffering is not being wasted. Just like a person that goes to the gym and their muscles burn and they sweat and they toil in those moments, their suffering is producing something for them. Today we arrive at our last message in this series called Clean Heart and Right Spirit, and the sermon is entitled, excuse me, You're Free, Now Go. You're free, now go. Father, I ask that you would help me, your servant in this moment, take me out of this equation. I know that they will see me, but may they hear you. I ask for your anointing to be upon me as the speaker, as the teacher, as the pastor, as the one who feeds your sheep. And I ask for your anointing to be upon them as the sheep, as the hearers, as the listeners, as the sons, as the kings, as the priests, God. May this message feed them and fuel them to do your will. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Clean heart. Right spirit. I think this is about our fifth or sixth message here. And encountering Jesus cleanses and transforms our lives, readying us for loyal service. Sin has a way of making our lives very dirty. And if we're not careful, we will allow sin to turn us towards the world and we begin to chase after those things that bring us death instead of life. We've been learning about David and how he sinned greatly with Bathsheba, but David knew how to repent. He knew how to say, I'm sorry, once he was faced with the truth from the prophet Nathan. And the thing that David cried out for in Psalms 51, if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 51. Everyone should be very familiar with Psalm 51. This is a great chapter of repentance. Everyone should learn how to repent. You should know how to say, I'm sorry. We're born knowing how to sin, but we must learn how to say, I'm sorry, God. Father, I repent. And to have our heart turned towards God again. So, After we repent and ask God to forgive us of our sins, it should produce a willingness willingness in us to go and do the will of God, a readiness to say, okay, God, you cleaned me. Thank you so much. Now I want to serve you even better. 
this time. But the question that I must ask you all today as we come through this series, and many of you, maybe some of you have not heard the series, but it's about what I just said, a clean heart and a right spirit. God, wash our hearts clean from sin. Wash them with your blood. Wash them with your word. And create in us a right spirit. Church, can you say right spirit? Because if you've got a clean heart but your spirit isn't right, it won't be long before your heart is dirty again. Because a right spirit is a loyal spirit, a spirit that is willing to serve God and turn away from sin. So it's not enough just to ask God to forgive you of your sins if you're just going to run and go sin again. So a right spirit says, you know what? Thank you for cleaning my heart, and I thank you that my spirit now is loyal to you again. But are we really washed and willing? Are we really clean and loyal? Peter thought he was. Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the original disciples, and he thought he was loyal. He thought he was clean, but he still lacked something. And our desire today is say, Lord, if we still lack something, then help us. Let's go to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Now, we might have mouths that say, I'm clean, I'm saved, I'm spirit-filled, I'm ready to serve God. But God knows our hearts, right? He can see past our words and see the condition of our heart. For he says this, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's not what you say, it's really what the true condition of your heart is. So let's look at this. Verse 31, this is Jesus talking to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He wants to tear your lives apart, all of you and all of the disciples. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Church, say this with me. Jesus is praying for me. Did you know that? Like Jesus prays for you. He intercedes at the, at the uh, right hand of the Father and he's praying for you. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. But wait, didn't Peter fail? Yes, he did mess up. And we're all going to mess up. Every single one of us will fall. We will mess up. But that doesn't mean our faith has failed us. Because Jesus said, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. So when you have repented, there we go. This is what proves we have active faith because when we fall down, we repent. And Jesus says, I know that you've got a faith inside of you that when you mess up, you're going to repent, right? So can we give God praise for every time we sinned and got up again? Let's, 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 let's do that. Every time we sinned and got up again, right? Because we really have a way of beating ourselves up when we mess up. But praise God that we got up again. And that means we have faith that just because we messed up one time, that one time didn't kill us or God didn't evict us from the plan. He didn't erase our name from the book of life. He gave us another chance. So Peter when you repent, turn to me again and strengthen your brothers. Peter said, 
Church, say that. Peter said. Peter said. All right, let's look at what Peter said. Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter said, but then Jesus said. We say, but then Jesus says, right? Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me how many times? Three times that you even know me. Let's skip down to verse 54. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a what? Distance. So already he had created distance between himself and Jesus. We've got to be careful of distance. What did I say we have to be careful of? Distance. Be careful. Man. Be careful of your distance between you and Jesus because in that distance, it leaves room for denial. When you distance yourself from Jesus, when you create space between you and the Lord, it makes room for denial. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. Distance creates denial. Verse 58, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. So listen to this, children of God. The more you love God, the more your heart breaks when you fail. Do you hear me? The more you fall in love with God, the more you begin this love relationship with God, when you sin, it wrecks you. It messes you up. At least it should. Because if you've created too big of a distance between you and God, then you don't even realize that he's looking at you. You don't even realize that he's beholding you. But the more deeply you fall in love with God, the deeper the pain and anguish your heart will experience when you sin against him. So the question must be asked, when you sin, what happens? So if you can sin and just nothing happens then your love for God is low. Your passion for him is very low. But if you sin and it wrecks you, you can't sleep. It's all you think about. You're like, God, forgive me of this sin. I, I feel convicted, not condemned, but convicted. Then that is a heart that loves the Lord. 
So let there be no distance between us, even when it's costly. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some family. It's going to cost you a worldly reputation, but that's okay. Let it cost you because it's going to cost you something to follow him. Now, the reason we create distance between us and the Lord sometimes is to save face uh, among the things and maybe among the people of the world. Now, distance, what it does for us is it spares us from public shame. So the world doesn't appreciate, doesn't respects, doesn't uh, love or desire Christians to be around. So, it will be a lot easier for you if the people at work didn't know that you were one, right? Because if they knew, it would come with ridicule. If they knew, it would come with suffering. It would come with condemnation. So, a lot of people live a lifestyle for Jesus that's just kind of Sunday morning-ish, if you know what I mean not very outward with their faith because there's a shame that comes with it. I don't want to be talked about. I still want to fit in with my old friends and and at work. And we must understand that distance may spare us from public shame, but it still creates a greater shame. Peter wept bitterly. He was ashamed of what he had done to Jesus. And listen to what Luke chapter 23, verses 26 say. This is what Jesus says. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Listen to this part. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So I'm not saying that you got to wear a Joyce Meyer sweatshirt to work, okay? But I am saying that your light should be shining everywhere you go. That you should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should not be ashamed that, hey, I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Remember, Jesus washes us and cleanses us when we fall down. And then he sends us off. Because the title of the message again is, you're free, now go. So listen to what Jesus said to Peter again in Luke 22, 32. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Basically, when you're free, go. So listen to me. This is a word for you. Those of you that have committed sin that you're ashamed about, Ask Jesus to forgive you, repent, which means to turn away from that sin, and then I want you to get up and I want you to go because there's work to do. We must also understand this, that only true encounters transform our hearts. 
You can come to church for 48 years and never be changed if you don't have a true encounter with God. You can sing every song, you can enjoy the sermon, you can give offerings, but until you have an encounter with God, your heart will remain the same. We, this is not a time or a place for religion. It's a place for relationship. I speak a truth that you might understand the ways of God so that you can come to know God. Why? Because only a true encounter transforms our hearts. So my question for you today is, has your life been transformed by the power of God since you've known him? Is there a definite line in the sand? This is what I used to be, and after I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, this is what I am now, right? See, there is a, uh, a BC and an AD for every believer. There is a BC, which means before Christ, and there is an AD, which means after death. And when I talk about death, I'm talking about your own life. I died to sin, and I've been made alive in Christ. The BC version of me, should we line people up and give them a microphone to talk about their BC version, right? Not many people will be in that line. But my BC version drank alcohol, was a womanizer, was, was, was a sinner, got arrested before. My BC version is bad, but guess what? So is yours. Every BC version is bad. Everything that happened before Christ is bad. But God... See, that's what the line is in the sand. That's the but God line, where you cross over into the death of yourself and into the life that you share with Jesus Christ. And after my death, there is a definite change in who I am now between and, and who I was then. If there's no definite transformation, then you may have not encountered God because you cannot encounter God and walk away the same. You can encounter religion and be the same forever. But when you encounter God, something happens on the inside. There is a transformation. There is an exchange of identity. That old, wicked, cold heart is replaced with a new heart of flesh that loves God. That's what we're looking for when we say a clean heart and a right spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Praise God. I don't know where you were when Jesus entered. What city were you in? What place were you in? Were you at a church? Were you in your car? Were you in the living room? Where's that place where Jesus entered in and there was a definite transaction and transformation in your life? But here it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. I praise God for each of you that know Jesus Christ as your savior this morning, that Jesus entered in and made his way to your town. Wherever it was, he found you in sin. He found you in, 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 in the ways of death, but yet he made his way towards you. Verse two, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. How rich was he? How rich was he? And remember, this is the B.C. Zacchaeus, right? So 
in order to get very rich, he had to have done very wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? He had not had an encounter with God. So if he's very rich, then he's been very wrong, right? But when you have an encounter with God, something happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. The way I read that is, I must be a guest in your heart today. I must be a guest in your heart. I want to make a home out of you. I don't want to just visit your home for the sake of this being a tourist place so you can say, Jesus ain't here. No, I want to make a home in your heart. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, let me ask you a question. Where did Zacchaeus stand? Where does it say? All right, everybody. Where did Zacchaeus stand? Before the Lord. Unless you have a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, not Allah, not any other God. I'm talking about the real God. When you have an encounter with the real God, something happens. I'm going to ask you again, church. Your participation may equate to you getting out sooner. Where did Zacchaeus stand? Come on. Before the Lord. And something happened. Why? Because he encountered the Lord. Something happened. It doesn't say he heard a sermon. It doesn't say he was baptized. It doesn't say he went through membership classes. It just says that he stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. What happened? He stood before the presence of the Lord. We sang the song a little bit ago, holy, 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 this God is real. This must be the Son of God. This must be Jesus, the Messiah, because a man can stand before him and confess all his sin without Jesus even opening his mouth. Just the very presence of the Lord pulls sin out of him and said, oh my God, I am a wicked man, and if I have cheated people, if I I have cheated. You know you cheated people. If I have cheated people, I will uh, pay them back four times as much. So listen, listen, listen. So he stood before Jesus. He has this encounter. He feels his unworthiness. He feels the, 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 the soiled uh, condition of his heart, the wrongness in his spirit, confesses his sin, and then Jesus responds. Church, say this with me. Jesus response. Come on. When you have an encounter with Jesus, say, Lord, save me. Lord, clean me. Lord, fill me. Lord, I'm sorry. Jesus responds. 
And it says, verse 9, Jesus responded. What did he say? Salvation has come to this home. When? Today. Why today? Because Jesus was standing there in his presence. So that is why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Why? Because Jesus is present always. This is the age of grace. So no matter what you've done to sin against God, you can simply lift up your voice because God is present and God has, has made a way to atone for our sins. And you may say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am guilty. Please forgive me. And what will happen? Jesus will respond. The word of God says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what did he say? Salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself. That's very important. This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I don't know what you've heard about God. This is your first time hearing the gospel, that, that, that God sends people to hell and he's a mean God. And, and you, you, maybe you had a bad experience with your natural father, so you can't see God as a good father. But the Bible says here that he came to seek and save not to seek and condemn, but to seek and save those who are lost. It says this, this man has shown himself. This man, Jesus said, has shown himself. So what that tells me, church, is this. True transformation is visible. If you've truly had an encounter with God, if you've truly been born again, then it's going to be visible, visible before God and man. Luke 6.45 says this, because this is why, this is why Zacchaeus said what he said. If I have stolen from people, I will pay seven or uh, four times what I've taken. Why did that just why was that just vomited out? Like, where did that come from? What happened? What was that? Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6.45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Or some of you learned it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when he encountered Jesus, his heart was changed and he had to say something, verbalize what had happened in his heart through his mouth. So what we must be careful of is that we do not harbor a wrong spirit. Because the longer, the more you distance yourself between you and God, not only can denial happen, we can also become possessed by that which is evil, that which is dark. Because if you distance yourself from the light, what you've created is a space for the darkness. And when you make a space for the darkness, the enemy will take advantage of it. The enemy will send demons to be squatters in your home. 
Many times we find, in, in especially the big cities, when homes have been foreclosed upon, some people move into them illegally and they become squatters, and it's hard to get a squatter out. Let's hear about this in Mark chapter 5. Let's go there. We don't want to harbor a wrong spirit. The longer, if, if Nathan hadn't come to David and said, David, you are guilty of sin before God. If David would have continued to uh, hide that sin and hide his hand, those, his bloody hands, and hide what he had done, then he would have welcomed into his life darkness and evil spirits as well. So let's learn. Verse, Mark 5, verse number 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes, something like that. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit. What was he possessed by? An evil spirit. This is the New Testament. This is the age we're in now. People can be possessed by evil spirits. So it's not just uh, mental illness sometimes. It's not just alcoholism. They're not just high. It's not just anger, anger sometimes. There can be evil spirits within people, okay? So when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. The man lived, Okay, this is how he lived. Because of what lived in him, this is how he lived. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you see people possessed by evil spirits or darkness because of what lives in them, it's how they now live life. It's always going to be a reflection of it. So whatever lives in you is how you will live. So listen to what it says. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, intercessors, I need you praying right now. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Church, can you say this with me? That wasn't him. No man by himself is able to snap away uh, chains and shackles. That's superhuman strength, okay? Uh, whenever he was putting the chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills. Remember, because of what lived in him, this is how he lived, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, church, can you say this with me? Encounter. Come on. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed down before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? 
And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into these pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town in the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been. Church, can you say had been? Uh-oh, something happened, right? When you have a true encounter with Jesus, something must happen. So, this man had been possessed by the legion of demons. So he had over 2,000 demons living inside of him. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfect, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. I don't know why in my mind I, I have an Englishman just eating tea and crumpets or something, just so dignified now. He was crazy, but now he's so dignified and proper. And they come looking at him like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Is this the same naked dude that was running through the tombs and screaming and cutting himself and breaking chains now? But now, church, can you say, but now? Church, can you say, but God? But now, because of what God has done in his life, he's sane, he's clothed, he's in his right mind. Verse 16, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, clean heart, Right spirit. Come on. This is what we're trying. This is where God is trying to get us to. Once your heart's been cleaned, it will produce in you a spirit that is right and willing to serve God. Let's see the evidence here. As Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. Church, church can you say this with me? You're free. Now go. Come on, that's the beauty of freedom, right? That's the beauty of when God gets a hold of your life and cleanses you and washes you. There's something on the inside of you that says, okay, God, I'm ready to serve now. Thank you for cleaning me. And Jesus says, okay, you're free. Now go. Go do what I'm calling you to do. Go do what you couldn't do before. Go, basically, and sin no more. And that's where we find ourselves now in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. And I'm going to paraphrase this. It was written in the law of Moses that if any, anyone was caught in sin 
uh, in the sight of the Lord, and there were at least two witnesses who saw it, that they could take this person, male or female, out to the edge of the city, and the witnesses first would throw their stones at them to kill them, and then the rest of the town could throw in. That was the law, okay? So when Jesus came, the law was still active. So we find ourselves in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, where a woman is caught in the very act of adultery, and there's witnesses, So they pull her out to where Jesus is because they want to trap him with this question. And they says, the law says we should kill her. But what do you say? And they kept egging Jesus on and egging him on and demanding an answer. And the Bible says that he stooped down to the ground and began to write something with his finger. And because they were so persistent saying, the law says we should kill her. What do you say? He finally stands up. He says, okay, whoever among you is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Then all of a sudden it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones and walk away. And then Jesus looks up at this lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. And verse 10 is where we pick up. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemned you? No, Lord, she says. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and what? Sin no more. Or basically, you're free, now go. Come on. The law said death, but grace In truth, said life, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. And he says, okay, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. So church, where are we now? It's February, what? What's today's date? 9th? 11th? Oh man. February 11th, 2024. We must, because either... Both of these statements are true, but we don't know which is more true, right? Either Jesus is soon to come or you're soon to go. At any rate, we've got to be ready, right? We've got to be ready. That's what this series is for. We need a clean heart and a right spirit so that we might be ready ourselves, but also that we could ready others. We must recognize our rebellion. Let's go to Psalms chapter 51, verses 1 through 13. Yes, David sinned greatly against the Lord his God, but he knew how to repent. And we will see where repentance turned to. We're in Psalms chapter 51, beginning in verse 1. This is when Nathan the prophet came to David and said, you've been caught, man. You've been caught. You've sinned against God. So it says, immediately in that moment, David turned, and this is the prayer that was recorded, at least 13 verses of it. Here's what he said. Church, listen to me. Please hear this. We all know how to sin, but do you know how to repent? Do you know how to say, God, I'm sorry forgive me. Because the more you love God, 
the more sorrow your heart experiences when you sin. I'll give you the closest example I can. Sometimes when a person dies, it affects you, but depending on your relationship with that person, it might not really hurt you. Can we be honest with that? But if it's mom or if it's dad and they die, the pain you experience when they die is at the level of the love that you had for them. So the deeper your hurt means the deeper the love that you had for them. So when you sin against God, that sorrow that's produced in there means, man, I, I must really love God because this is really eating me up inside. But don't let sin eat you away. It'll eat you up a little, but don't let it eat you away. Because if it eats you away, it means the devil took over. And what the devil does is he condemns. But the Holy Spirit convicts. Conviction is Hey, come back. You messed up. Repent. Get it right. And here's what that sounds like. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Church, that's what the series is for. May we recognize our rebellion. When you've sinned or when you're living in sin, man, do you know how dangerous it is not to recognize your rebellion against God? To stand before him and say, get away from me, you sinner. I never knew you. But no, that won't happen. Why will it not happen? Because we will recognize our rebellion while we're here and say, God, my sin separates me from you. Would you please wash me? It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the state of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will turn to you. Church, the results of a clean heart and right spirit. Why did this sermon series come to this church? What is God trying to do? Five things happen when you have a clean heart and right spirit. And five is also the number of grace. So listen to the grace of God for your lives right now. When you have a clean heart and right spirit, 
You are permitted to dwell in the Lord's presence. You are a possessor of his Holy Spirit. Number three, you are a recipient of the joy of his salvation. Number four, you have a spirit that is willing to obey. And number five, you become ministers who teach sinners the way to God. I'm going to say it one more time. The reason God had me preach a series called A Clean Heart and Right Spirit were these five reasons. Number one, you'll be permitted to dwell in the Lord's presence. Number two, you are a possessor of his Holy Spirit. Number three, you are a recipient of the joy of his salvation. Number four, you will have a spirit that is willing to obey. And number five, here's the biggest reason of all, here's where we're going. You become a minister who will teach sinners the way to God. Our next series is entitled, Fulfilling Ministry. That's where we go from here. Once our hearts are clean and our spirits are right, we understand that, you know what? I'm a minister of God. Why? Because I'm a product of his grace. I'm a product of his salvation. And there's people out there that are dying and lost and on their way to hell, and they have a way back to God now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 say this. This is why you need a clean heart and right spirit. Or this is why God gave you a clean heart and right spirit. Listen to this. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, church, say this with me, and he gave me this wonderful message of reconciliation. Listen to me. If he saved you, this means that you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please don't, don't, don't let me lose you. This is the most important part of the whole series. This is so important that you hear this. He saved you, gave you a clean heart and a right spirit so that you would understand that he's given you a ministry, a message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, so we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Church, say this with me, come back to God. Man, so God gave you a clean heart and a right spirit so that you could go out there and you could say, come back to God. I'm the evidence that he saves. I'm the evidence that he sets free. Here's our last passage for today. Matthew 15, 29, verse 31. Listen to this. This is amazing. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd. What kind of crowd? A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. 
The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, the crippled were made well, the lame were walking, and the blind could see again, and they praised the God of Israel. It said vast crowds came to him. Church, listen to this. How did the people in that region hear about Jesus? I'll tell you. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So the man who had been demon possessed, he became an evangelist and went throughout that whole region of 10 cities telling people all about Jesus. And when Jesus came back, they were ready for him. You are the ministers who have clean hearts and right spirits now who are supposed to go into the edges of the world and tell people about Jesus so that when Jesus comes back, they are ready for him. Let's stand to our feet. We have been repossessed and repurposed for God's use. You are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God didn't save you just so that you could go to heaven. God saved you so that you would be a seed that would tell a message that Jesus Christ is Lord so that you would be able to say, listen, there is a BC version of me, but God has produced a new version of me, an AD version. After death, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Could you all raise your hands this morning as I pray a prayer over you? Jesus, look at this crowd. You know all about the BC version. You know all about the sinful version, the lost version, the version that denied you, the version that put distance between you, the version that has housed demons and engaged in sin, the version that was lost, God, the version that was ashamed of you, the version that ran from you, that hid from you, God, the version that denied you. You see us all, and you know what version of man and woman stands before you now and I'm asking that we could have an encounter a but God moment that would transform us from sinners to saved from sinners to saints from the lost to sons to priests to kings to representatives of the kingdom of God righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost Lord You've given us all a ministry to fulfill. And may we one day, soon, stand in your presence, see the smile on your face, 
and hear those words are so long to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Fulfilling ministry is really fulfilling servanthood, fulfilling sonhood, fulfilling priesthood, fulfilling our royal responsibility to God. But it's impossible to do that if your heart isn't clean. Because if your heart isn't clean, it isn't a resting place for God. It isn't a home for God, but it can be. Today, he can give you a clean heart and a right spirit. So I challenge you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, and you want to say, God, I want to have an encounter with you. I want you to live in me, just like you moved into Zacchaeus' heart. I need a heart transplant. I need an exchange. Father, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you as Savior today. I'm going to offer that salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And may they boldly raise their hands, God, if they're ready to receive you as Savior. Satan, you cannot have them. Every weight, every doubt, every fear, I command you to loose them now in Jesus' name so that today can be their day of salvation. All hands down, all eyes open. If today is the day where you say, there's no way I'm leaving this church without giving my life to Jesus. There's no way in the world after hearing that message that I'm going to allow myself to stay the same. Today is the day I encountered God because I encountered his presence while we worshiped. I felt something while we sang. I know that was him. I've never felt anything like that before. That was the joy of the Lord who is our strength. And today can be your day of salvation where you say, you know what, God? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me because God, I have sinned, but I don't want to be a sinner. God, I have sinned, but I don't want the wages of sin, which is death. I would rather have life. So God, if you're going to forgive me of my sins today, I'll raise my hand high and I'll take it. I'll say, Lord, please forgive me. Transform me. Make me a new man. Make me a new woman. If that's you today, would you raise your hand high so we can pray for you right now? Is there any among you that say, you know what? Today is the day I give my life to Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Don't be like Peter right now. Come on. Jesus is looking at you saying, I want to save you. I want to free you. I want to help you. Don't be ashamed of me right now. Don't worry about who's looking. Don't worry about these people because one day you'll stand in front of a holy God and you can't say, you can't say, God, I never had the chance to raise my hand. God, I, I never heard the gospel. I didn't know you forgave sins. I didn't know it was that easy. I didn't know all I had to do was say, God, it's me. I sinned against you and I need help. I repent. Forgive me. Is there anyone here today that will raise that hand high and say, you know what? It's my turn. It's my turn to give my life to God. I'm not going to be lost. I refuse to go to hell. If this is all it takes is me surrendering and saying, God, forgive me of my sins, then I'll take salvation. I'll take it right now. And listen, it's a gift. 
Salvation is a gift. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I see a young man with his hands up. Father, you see that young man and we're so thankful for him today. So God, we ask 